We're going to embark upon a journey of a new book. And I say a new book. This was actually the book that Ernest Holmes wrote first. For those of you who uh, maybe want a good introduction to Ernest Holmes but don't want to do the big, thick science of mind textbook, this is a nice one. I recommend it. And uh, it has a couple things in it going for it, I think, in this republished version, not the least of which is an endearing forward by Catherine Ponder. Let me read uh, uh, what Catherine Ponder has to say about this first book of Ernest Holmes. She says, as we move forward into the 21st century, we can take equal parts pride in knowing that the universal truths and principles taught and practiced by Dr. Ernest Holmes in the early 20th century also serve with equal power and favorable results when people use them today. She goes on to say, this creative mind power is universal. It's eternally available. It knows no boundaries of time or space or human limitations. Because we are constantly using our creative mind in either enlightened or unenlightened ways, this book shows us how to produce the constructive results we desire every day. So a nice little promise for us in this book. But you know, I want to start really, I want to start out even before the place that Ernest Holmes starts in this book. Because we've already bandied around this idea of a universal principle or a universal law. I know in Dee's prayer she talked about the love and the law of God. And I want to talk about what is a universal spiritual principle. What is this thing that we would call a principle? And I want to start really at the beginning because what I know is we're already quite familiar with universal principles. And so I'm going to start with one that you probably will recognize. And uh, I'll, I'll wander out here with my flashcards because my drawing and clip art abilities are not the best. But does this look familiar? The, the universal spiritual principle was addition. And probably, uh, you know, when I was going to school, we learned this kind of universal spiritual principle probably in about first or second grade. The presumption was that by the time we were in first grade, we probably already had an idea of counting. And so in maybe in second grade, it wouldn't have seemed weird for the teacher to say, you know, how many ducks are here? And my clip art is little duckies. Um, so the idea would have been three duckies plus two duckies equals five duckies. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and of course, that would have been reinforced in a number of different ways because it's a universal principle. It not only applies to duckies, but there would have been flashcards that had, a, you know, three apples plus two apples equals five apples and so on and so forth. And, and by the time that the year was out, this kind of a flashcard replaced uh, with pictures would have started looking more like this flashcard. And so we would have gone with a more universal idea of one number plus another number equals a third number. And, and if, you know, during the class one of us forgets, the teacher would have been oh so very patient and she might have even pulled out the old flashcard and, you know, let's get back to the duckies for a minute here, right? If you count these three, and the, I know, sir, believe 
me, I know. It seems crazy. And yet today, do we ever think about this? We just know how math works. And yet we learn something that is fundamental here early on in life. And, and since then, we don't have to think about it, right? Well, although when the numbers are very big, right? <laughs> or, or when we get a little bit more advanced and get into like division, for instance, I remember sometimes I still have to work them out on paper. But anyway, that idea of a universal principle stands. It works for everyone. Everyone should get the same result. It will work for me whether I even know English or not, right? It's, it's transcultural, right? I, I mean, the literal words for three and two and plus and equals would be different, but the concept is universal and transferable. Okay. So what is the principle that we're going to learn today? What is the principle covered in this sweet book called Creative Mind? Well, Ernest Holmes starts with a Bible quote, and so I'm going to go right there. This is from John 1, 1, and it's interesting because we normally think about the idea of creation in the Bible from Genesis, right? There's another version of it in the New Testament, in John. Here it goes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has ever been made. In him was life, and that was life, and that was light, and it was all of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through him all things were made. So what is this idea of the Word? Certainly it's more than just a word, right? That's the spiritual principle we're going to be talking about today. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go back and pretend that we're like in first and second grade again with some pictures. All right. So what we've got here is a light bulb that I'm going to uh, suggest can represent our thinking or thoughts, right? Like a light bulb coming on. And notice this one has a little heart on it. So, so in my uh, childhood uh, uh, drama here, it'd be thoughts of love. Thoughts of love produce, and here we have a little scene from the Aristocats. Remember that that movie when you were 7 or 14 or 25 or whatever age you are? Anyway, so the idea here is that thoughts of love are going to produce actual love out in the world as exemplified by this little picture. And I would put to you that much in the same way then that the math teacher would have said, it doesn't matter whether it's ducks or apples or oranges, I would say to you, it doesn't matter what your thoughts are. It doesn't matter whether it's thoughts of love or thoughts of war. It doesn't matter whether it's thoughts of peace or thoughts of joy. When you have a thought, it is going to turn into your experience of the world. You will literally start seeing, start noticing, start experiencing more of where your thinking is headed. This is the idea of the word made manifest in the world. Literally, 
in, the, in Scripture, this is how the universe was created. If you think of God as having the sum total of all the consciousness that exists in the cosmos, it was God's word, his idea, her force of being, you know, and I'm using my, mixing my pronouns here on purpose because God, both female and male, it was that word, that impetus, that idea of what the universe needed to be like and should be like, and that was all that was necessary. The word of God in that sense, completely creative. I want to suggest that that principle didn't end with chapter one of John that principle, that life principle, is still at work today. It has never ended, and whether we knowingly embrace it or whether we ignore it, it is still working in our lives right now. Thoughts become things. Our ideas, our thoughts, uh, um, that which we hold close to us, our mental equivalents, there's a million different uh, ways of talking about our thought patterns, but... When we hold close to them, when we believe them, when we embrace them, when we feel them, they become the word, they become that powerful thing that's more than just the syllables of the words themselves, but really are wound up in an intention, that are really wound up into a promise. When we have that strength in our word, it is simply creative. Now, are there are those of you who may say, Larry, does it really work that straightforward? I mean, you're comparing this to math, right? Let's talk about a joke here. Maybe it will help clarify. So Rebecca Smith from CNN heard a story about a very elderly Jewish man who'd been going to the Western Wall in Jerusalem to pray twice a day for a very, very, very long time. She went to check it out. She went to the Western Wall, and there he was one morning, slowly walking up to the holy site. Pardon me, sir, how long have you been coming to the Western Wall and praying? Sixty years, he replied. Sixty years, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Can I ask, what do you pray for? Well, I pray for peace between the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims. I pray for all the wars and all hatred to stop. The journalist thought a moment and asked, how do you feel after doing this for 60 years? Well, the fellow also thought, and he said, you know, most days I feel good. Most days I feel that there is progress in the world. Most days I feel that my prayers are answered. And some days I feel like I'm talking to a wall. (laughs) Let's go back to one of our earliest flashcards here. Because I don't want you to think that somehow your prayers, your intentions, your word falls void. We say that God always says yes. We say that our intentions are always answered. It may sound simple because, of course, a a theory, a principle in its intellectualism always is simple and always does work. But I want to go back to this this first one. You just absolutely took it, right? Just from what Larry said, that three ducks plus two ducks equals five ducks. Have you tried this before? Do you know how hard it is to round up five ducks? Do you have any idea how unlikely that is? 
I've been to the Tillamook County Fair now four years in a row. Your chances of rounding up three ducks and two ducks and having them in an enclosed place, that approach is zero. As far as I'm concerned, in the real world, three ducks plus two ducks is likely to have like zero, maybe one duck. Maybe two ducks if you're lucky. And in fact, I have friends named Arlene and, uh, and Annette that for a while were keeping emu. They couldn't even get two of them together. I want to suggest that universal spiritual principles are universal, but our application of them may have its considerations. One of the reasons in early childhood development they say to use pictures of things like ducks is actually because children have very little familiarity with barnyard animals anymore. And so they will tell you, don't pick something. If you want to teach a universal uh, principle to a young child, don't pick something that they have a lot of familiarity with because they will see the inherent problems in it. Like you wouldn't want to pick... Uh, three teddy bears plus two teddy bears equals five teddy bears because a child that has a teddy bear will say, well, no, there's really only one. There is just one, and it's mine. <laughs> Likewise, you wouldn't want to have a, like three cloned pictures of mom plus two pictures of mom. They'd say, what do you mean? You can't just clone my mother. Do you know what I mean? The, the concept, once we personalize these things, they require consideration. And the same is true for this universal spiritual principle. Some days, the fellow praying on the wall felt, it felt his word went beyond just the words he was speaking and there was a heartfelt sense of the peace and the joy that that Jewish gentleman held for humanity and on those days it was the word and the feeling was there and I want to tell you his prayers probably rang out in the universe like a bell on other days he might have been using exactly the same syllables it may not have been the word. Are you following me here? It's more than just the, the string of syllables that we put together. If we want to use this principle that thoughts become things, our thoughts have to be powerful. Our thoughts have to be heartfelt. Our thoughts have to ring like the bell when we speak them. Our thoughts need to engender in us, bring up in us, well up in us the feelings that we want to experience. If we want more love in our life, our words aren't just, oh my gosh, you know, I'd like to have more love and a partner would be nice. And I mean, those are the words we might use. Did that sound very convincing? <laughs> if we want more love in our lives, we paint a picture that's beautiful and loving, right? It's like we picture ourselves on our knees, loving, the, asking the universe to marry us or something. I don't know. Think of the most romantic, compelling picture of love that you can think. <laughs> Linda's looking at me like, uh-oh, where are we going with this? 
<laughs> but honestly, the more you can feel it, whatever it is. Like, like I remember I was working with an affirmation with someone on abundance for a while. They were between jobs and were really feeling like the, the world was a tough place to exist from a financial standpoint. And, and so we worked a little bit on writing out an affirmation and you know, kind of how to turn that around. How do we cultivate our thoughts so that our words become the word. And he started out with an affirmation that was just fine, but it sounded like the universe is infinite and so the bounty of the universe is mine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like I wasn't convinced. <laughs> the second part of this book, what, what I love about this book is the very first half of it talks about the principles, right? And so it's kind of covered what we've covered so far. The second half of the book, though, I love because it brings the practical nature of the universe to us. It starts talking about the ducks again. It's not enough that we intellectually know that thoughts become things. We have to know how to get our ducks in the barns. You know what I mean? We have to know how the thoughts that are swimming around in our head can become the word, how we can crystallize and distill them and energize them in a way that will have results, not just to be a collection of syllables. And so this book does um, some wonderful things. Let me read to you one of the, the first practices in here is on the use of affirmations. Listen to what Holmes says. He says, the affirmation is the great weapon of the healer. It is in alignment with the way of the original creative spirit. It is our own true and personal use of the word of all power. We need only to say that our word is the law unto a certain case. We calmly state what we wish to experience, and then we say nothing or do nothing that contradicts us. Then we just wait. Let me read this again. We need only to say that our word is the law unto this particular case. We calmly state what we wish to experience, and then we say or do nothing to contradict it. This is simplicity itself, and yet we're still rounding up the ducks a little bit, aren't we? And I want to go back to them for just a minute, because as soon as we have a thought, well, in fact, let me try one on, on, uh, on size for you. Don't think of a horse. How successful were we there? There's a little bit of trouble involved in this, right? Because if we only want to have thoughts of love and life of joy, it's like, what happens? We start undermining our own resolve. We, we start coming up with the, the yeah buts and the question marks. We, we start saying, well, if life is love and joy and peace, then what about that traffic accident that I just saw out the window? What, what if my thoughts keep turning to, um, you know, my own in between having a job or, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that reality thing, that pesky reality thing, that, that third emu that won't come into the barn? That, uh, that, that fifth and sixth duck that no matter what you do, they're just in your face? We have to have persistence. The principle is real. Patience is human. But when we approach any of these universal spiritual principles, whether it be math, 
whether it be the law of cause and effect, whether it be this idea that thoughts become things, if we are persistent, if we know that it's true for us, if we move ahead assuming that it is true for us, assuming that what we dream of, what we, what we hold to be true in our mind will come about, then it will. They cease being just the words and they turn into the word and you will be successful. Um, the first time I taught affirmations, I think it was in one of my foundations classes, and, and I remember each person in class had been asked to write an affirmation, and some of them were quite beautiful and quite poignant, and I remember this one woman, when we got to her though, she read an affirmation and it sounded really kind of flat really kind of there was no effect to it. And I could tell that her chances of having that experience of life were going to be directly proportional to how much enthusiasm she could put into picturing herself being that way. And so I asked her about it and she said, oh, well, you know, I know what affirmations are. Um, I've been familiar with affirmations for 20 years, but they never work for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's like the biggest affirmation of all. <laughs> oh no. Universal spiritual principles work. The only thing that can thwart them from working is what's in your own heart and in your own head. If you are persistent, it will work just like addition. If you take some time to clear your mind of the extraneous thoughts and the opposite thoughts, and it will take some doing, right? It's not, it's not with impunity that we herd the emu <laughs> into the barn. Things will come up. Things might seem difficult at first, but with some practice, we can order our minds, we can create lives that will not only work for us, but enliven us. It begins building upon itself, right? Once we learn that our creative power is creative and is powerful, right? I feel like I'm describing a, a, a small baby, you know, one of those redundancies that, that people laugh when they go, well, of course it's a small baby. Babies are small. Well, of course our thoughts are creative. I don't think when I first started showing those flashcards, I don't think I was telling anybody anything new here in this room, right? In the same way that intuitively we sense that math works, I think we intuitively sense that this universal principle works in our life. We know that when we wake up in the morning and we have that can-do attitude and we have that spring in our step and it feels like it's going to be a good day, there's nothing that can shoot us down. And likewise, if we wake up in the morning, on, so to speak, on the wrong side of the bed, and we have a crummy attitude, and we start off our day uh, by picking a fight with someone, it's like, where's the day going to go from there? Yeah, we intuitively know this, so why will we not put some rigor about it like we do with addition? When people give me the wrong change in a store, it makes me mad. And I'm not going to stand for that in my own life anymore when I have that creative power. So from right now on, if I start having conflicting thoughts, I'm going to take myself to task about it. I'm going to say, Larry, you can do better than this. There's no reason I can't wake up every morning on the right side of the bed. Attitude is all right in here. 
And I can dish it pretty good. So why don't I always dish it on the good side? My request to you all this week is to take back ownership of your thoughts. My homework for you specifically is maybe to write an affirmation or two. But before we move on to that, I think we should practice an affirmation. Are you ready? All right. Let's start with this one. I am richly provided by an infinite God. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm hearing the words, but I'm not hearing the word. Think about what it feels like to really be rich. Think for a moment to a time in your life when you were so pampered, feeling so rich. You know, and I don't know, maybe you need to go to a time when you were on vacation and, you know, when you're eating out and the food is served and the beds are made for you. I don't, you know, I don't know what, what you need to recall, but think of a time when you were feeling like the entire universe was supporting you completely when you were rich, when you could buy anything, when you could do anything, when you could be anything you wanted. You may have to go back to some time when you were seven years old. I don't care. In your own mind's eye, bring up that time in your life and what you are feeling. You are feeling strong. You're feeling free. You're feeling powerful. You know that whatever you want, you can have. You know that everyone you're going to meet today is going to be your friend. You know that you know. All right, let's try it again. I am richly provided by an infinite God. I am richly provided by an infinite God. Okay, now that's the word. I hope you felt the difference because this is the difference between counting the ducks and really herding the ducks up. This is the difference between going to the wall and praying and feeling that peace is in the air and just praying at the wall. Let's try one more. I know we're running out of time here. Let's try, I'm lovable and capable. I'm lovable and capable. Now that was a little better. That was better. No, honestly. But I want to work on lovable for a minute. Because some of you weren't looking so lovable when you were saying lovable. Some of you, I, I'm just being honest. I would want you to be honest with me. Some of you, when you were saying lovable, you were going like this. The lovable person is ready to embrace. Do you know what I mean? Think back again to a time in your life. Maybe it was a first date with the person that was going to become a true sweetheart of yours. Sense that feeling in your heart of really being lovable with even that edge of kind of sexiness to it. Do you know what I mean? When you know that you are something... And that, the, and that the universe will respond. I know, it's church, but get over it. Get over it. <laughs> Picture yourself at that time in your life when sweet, sweet love was at your door and you've, and, and you've allowed it to come into your life. All right. I'm lovable and capable. I am lovable and capable. All right, now you are. Thank you. All right, back to homework. This week, 
I want you to think about an area in your life that you really want to change. I want you to write an affirmation. It's no more complicated than a single sentence describing how you want to be. So it might be I'm lovable, capable. It might be uh, my body and mind and spirit are strong and energetic. It might be uh, my life is filled with loving friends. You know, wh whatever it is you want to experience, but I'm, I'm challenging you. It needs to go beyond the words into the word. It needs to be that same power and presence that God used to create the universe. Do you think that God said, oh, let there be light? <laughs> I don't think so. My gosh, people. God said, let there be light. And there was light. There wasn't second guessing. There was, well, I really hope it works. Because it's really dark today. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to take your words and turn it into the word. It will make all the difference. And when your life is improved, when your life becomes more joyous, more loving, more abundant, more, more special, more capable, when your life improves, the planet improves. When you go to the Western Wall and you say your prayers of peace and they ring true, there is freedom in the world that cannot be denied. All right, I'm going to close with one more quote from this book and a prayer. But I think we've got it. Do we understand our, our homework for the week? Okay, all right. Here's what um, Ernest Holmes has to say with this idea of bringing um, the actual practice of this, right? Not just using words, but using the word. Not just saying that, oh yeah, I understand that thoughts become things, but actually taking our thoughts and moving them into things. Here's what he said. God must become with our own soul the greater self, the inner life, the inner light that is to light our path with sure steps to the attainment of our greater ideals. God is to become the great friend of our lives, understanding us and helping us at all times to do what we will. No more books, no more teachers, no more practitioners, no more ministers probably, no more creeds or candlesticks will you ever need. The old methods must vanish into their native nothingness as the great realization of God in your life and through your life dawns upon your awakened thought. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe that is that thing called God. And what I know about God is it is the word that powerful, intentional thought of life itself. And whether it is used to create the universe wholesale or whether it is used to create love in the human heart doesn't make any difference. It's only a difference in scale. And so for me on this day, I know that my word is powerful. I know that my intentions for love and life, for goodness and joy are met upon with an outrageous success because they are the word. And even as my words ring out true in the universe, so I know for each person in this room, the capability exists for using your powerful word for good. And with this day and with each successive day, it becomes ever easier for the people in this room to sense the power in their own word, to create thoughts that are successful, 
to be and to do the very things that they wish to experience more of in life through the power of their word. I'm grateful for this. I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you.